It's back to the future with the return of a national party policy of years gone by. So what is social investment and does it work? For that and everything else worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you listen to podcasts. Warning, this episode contains strong language. Hi, I'm Michael Wright and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This week's story is from the Sunday Star Times and is called How I Escaped a Cult. It's by senior reporter Steve Kilgallen, who joins me now. Hi, Steve. Hi, Michael. Uh, So we should stress, Steve, you are not the one who escaped the cult in this story. You wrote about the person who did and you've been working on it for a while, which I'll get you to explain. But first, can you tell us uh, how you came across this story? So I was, I'm very fortunate. I sit a couple of desks away at work from Craig Hoyle, who works at the Sunday Star Times, is a former member of the Exclusive Brethren, which is a uh, quite a small religious group that he, he was once a member of and left and has since written a book about. So normally I'd give you a great backstory about sources and contacts and finding out about some scandal, but actually this story came from two desks away when Craig told me about this really interesting young man who was preparing to leave a life in the Exclusive Brethren. So why has it taken so long? So in, in Jess's case, he was in a particularly unusual situation. He was born without limbs, so he does require a level of care. So he, he really had to plan his exit from the Brethren. So I knew through Craig for several months that, that this guy was going to leave, and Craig thought that he'd probably want to tell his story. He eventually left in February this year, and I met him about a week after he left, but the story wasn't published till many months later. And that was because... I was very conscious that he, he'd just come out of this situation and that he was still coming to terms with it. And if we wrote something straight away, it wouldn't really be fair to him. It wouldn't be the full story. And it, it could potentially be manipulative on our part. So I was happy to sort of take my time over this one and have it bubbling away in the background. And I ended up interviewing Jess about five or six times over the course of writing it, which sort of explains the very, very long genesis of it. How do you approach a story like this? It's not like most stories. There there are sensitivities in the subject and what he's involved in here that you that you kind of have to address. So so how do you approach that? Definitely a different sort of story to tell from the ones I regularly do. When I'm doing investigations, you're not particularly worried about the how the subject feels about it because they're generally the bad guy and you you're trying to catch him out doing something wrong. In, in this case, the subject of my story was a young man who, you know, is finding his way in the world. And there's a, a, an element of duty of care, I think, in telling his story. Um, I know a lot of people think the media are heartless, soulless story chasers, but we're really not in general. And I think we want to be fair to the people we're writing about at all times. In this case, I think the element of fairness was um, was waiting until we'd reached a point where he, he had a degree of comfort about being public about things because the brethren are very um, cut off from regular society really and they don't really talk to the media. So he was coming from a context where this was all really quite alien to him. I had to be sort of keenly aware of that as I got into the storytelling. All right, thanks Steve. Now here is Steve reading his story, How I Escaped a Cult. At 10.30am on Friday, February the 24th, Jess Stewart got in a cab in Walkworth, 45 minutes north of Auckland. He turned his cell phone to silent, put on some headphones 
and began listening to the hits of the New Orleans rapper Lil Wayne. As the cab turned south on State Highway 1 towards the city, a steady drizzle falling outside, Stuart texted prepared messages to his mother, father and some close friends. Wayne gave way to Kendrick Lamar and Eminem, a soundtrack as carefully considered as every other element of a journey three years in the planning. Stuart was leaving the Exclusive Brethren, a secretive religious group that preaches almost complete separation from regular society. It can be an agonising process, as those who choose to quit accept they may never see family and friends again. But for the 23-year-old who has no arms and legs and weighs just 22 kilograms, his departure was, by necessity, a meticulously planned covert operation. No TV, radio, recorded music, novels, newspapers, cinema, long hair, moustaches, university, sex education, Christmas, or flowers on burial sites, church daily, and four times on Sunday. The 8,000 or so New Zealand members of the Exclusive Brethren live a highly strictured life, with its focus and absolute devotion to their worldwide leader, former Sydney office furniture salesman, Bruce Hales Jr. Growing up in this cloistered world, Jess Stewart had no complaints. Despite being born without limbs, he never felt different and doesn't remember ever feeling sad about his situation. He was always an optimist. As a kid, he says, it was a friendly, warm community. Like growing up in a small, particularly isolated town, albeit one where outsiders are loathed. And he was a celebrity. He required 52 surgeries before he was 19, mostly on his left shoulder, where the bone grows through the skin and has to be trimmed back, including some in the US. So praying for Jess's health was a regular occurrence. Brethren families had photos of baby Jess on their fridge. They raised money to send him to America. Former member Lindy Jacob says, because it's a tribe and you only know and care about people in the tribe, they're not caring about kids in Africa only each other. Another ex-brethren, journalist Craig Hoyle, says it was a huge deal when he was born. The brethren have this idea that God only gives you as much as you can handle. So if you dealt a really shit-handed life, God has extra faith in you. Jess fell into that category. At 12, using an HB pencil gripped between his teeth, Jess drew a sketch of a combi van. It sold on Trade Me and spawned an annual calendar, which one year sold 30,000 copies. It was an example, Jess says, of how the brethren really do embrace that community spirit. They bought thousands of those calendars, and for that, I will always be grateful. Young Jess's condition also meant exceptions, granted from the very top. He was allowed a computer for educational purposes, movies, TV, and later, dispensation to study for an IT degree. He says he learned a lot from Call of Duty. I didn't always want to leave, he stresses. I miss being a brethren in many ways. I wake up in the night and remember parts of it, something from childhood, or see or smell something that reminds you of it. But Jess was bright, and as he got older, that meant questions, uncomfortable questions, about inconsistencies in the church's teaching, such as why facial hair was encouraged under one leader, and banned under the next, which would enrage his father. There are a million different holes you could find, he says, but no one outside my family would even have thought I was talking like that. He wouldn't say that to anyone else. At 14, he was busted with music. My old man went off at me and said, have you considered the chance you won't be saved? 
It was the fucking Eagles. He was part of an underground network at school that downloaded as much as they could past the Brethren's internet filters. He was caught with a Facebook account. He had a secret Netflix account and, he says, I wasn't struck by lightning. When the elders rescinded his movie rights, he'd watched films in the dark and had the Hangover movies saved in a desktop folder entitled English Class Tutorial. I always thought three steps ahead, he says. I always had a plan B and a plan C. At 16, he wanted to leave. His dad found out and, he says, would keep throwing those reasons back at him. He says now that, at the time, he wanted to go because he wanted to listen to music and go to the movies, and in retrospect, that wasn't enough drive to make the change. But the strict nature of life in the Brethren made relationships difficult, and by the time he was 19, Jess was resolute that he wanted to leave. He doesn't blame anyone for that conflict between his desire for freedom and the church's intense rules, apart from the leadership. Make sure you capture this next sentence, he says at one point. 99 out of every 100 brethren are good people. He says that any friction with family and other people close to him wouldn't have been present in the outside world. Asked about that, his father Dale says, Every family has its own boundaries, and yes, we have ours. The street smarts he learned while engaged in petty rule-breaking were employed in constructing his secret plan to depart, and he was lucky the business-minded brethren had begun to relax the rules around technology. Lindy Jacob, who left in 2008 when cell phones and computers largely remained verboten, says, as a result, I do think it is easier for this generation to leave. Cut off from social contact with regular society, Stuart used the digital world to ready himself. He spent three years preparing, using a secret second phone, because the Brethren monitor the technology they supply to members, to contact former members for advice, government agencies to secure the specialist support work he needed, and social media to give himself a rudimentary education in contemporary life. He learned slang from Instagram and about the world from cinema. At our first meeting, he asked if New York in reality looks like it does in Goodfellas. He even posted on a Reddit forum about cults, asking for people to correspond with him about the outside. He got talking to Mercy, a 29-year-old musician and writer in Florida, who has now become one of his closest friends. Mercy says, it was him poking his head out to see if the world was as crazy as everyone around him had said it was. But he understood the outside world. He had a pretty decent idea. While there was an emotional journey to undertake, the logistics of Stuart's situation meant nothing could be rushed. As he planned his exit, Stuart made a painful but necessary decision to tell nobody and keep living normally, including planning trips with friends he knew he would never go on. He organized a few casual lunches with mates in the fortnight before he departed. And, he says, left some subtle clues which, looking back, they will realize that was me saying goodbye. While it ensured his plan was successful, mentally, he says, it has fucked me up a little bit. I sat at my desk a few times, thinking if I even had 1% less resolve to do this, I don't think I would go through with it. On his last night as a Brethren member, he lay awake, nervous, worried, excited, but never once questioning himself. In the morning, 
he went into each room of his childhood home to take a final mental picture before going to his job as a designer at a glass factory for the last time. Five minutes before his pre-booked taxi arrived at work, he told his boss he was leaving. Then, with nothing more than a bag of groceries, he got into the cab, queued up his sick playlist of motivational rap, and thought to himself, chapter one of my life is over. It's the start of chapter two. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcasts. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your, your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> As his parents began reading his farewell message, police and social workers knocked on the door to collect Jess's possessions. He says, There was no other way I could have done it. I felt awful. It would have been a shock for them. Although it shouldn't have been. The signs were there. In reply, his mother asked if he could give it another 24 hours. He said he'd given it six years. His father sent a link to share his GPS location, which he ignored. Friends called, upset. He spoke to Mercy in the US. I was thrilled, I was ecstatic, his friend says. We were laughing and screaming and joking. He'd arranged accommodation in the city, he doesn't want to say where, and a mate came over. They drank bourbon and watched the Shawshank Redemption, which concludes, of course, with prisoners Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman finding freedom. It was very symbolic, he says. All the media I consumed in the first couple of days was planned in advance. Riding the rush of adrenaline, he only slept five hours that first weekend. Then the reality hit me. Everything felt overwhelming. No friends, no family. We met for the first time for lunch about a week after he left. Stuart was immediately talkative, open and happy to share. Many former brethren never go public, as leavers who speak out are considered the worst, and it effectively removes any chance of reconciliation with the media-shy leadership. Maybe I started talking to you too soon, he reflected later, as we agreed to delay this story until he felt settled. But you were capturing my raw emotions. Leaving is like a form of committing suicide, considers Jacob, who wrote farewell letters to her family when she left at the age of 20, expecting to never see them again. Traditionally, those exiting the Brethren go through a two-stage process. First, being shut up, where they are isolated from the community. Then they are withdrawn from, a permanent exclusion. Once out, there's almost no relationship with anyone inside. Stuart knew that all too well. He says while he was on the inside, 
levers were talked about in the past tense. Being shut off from the outside world is horrendous, weird and looking back bizarre and crazy and used as a form of manipulation, he says. But at the time, it didn't feel like that. It felt pretty regular. Peter Lynham, Emeritus Professor of Religion at Massey University, says the Brethren are highly manipulative in their control mechanisms and outrageous about the way they control access to members from people who have left. Unusually, the Church has yet to take any formal action against Stuart, despite it being almost nine months since his exit. Jacob, who runs the Olive Leaf Network, a support group for those leaving the Brethren and other high-demand religious groups, is sure that's because of the Brethren's fear of negative publicity. People will be devastated by Jess leaving, she says. They'll be really worried about this. In a statement, Brethren spokesperson Doug Watt did not address specific questions about shunning or why the church had not excommunicated Stuart. Watt said, Jess was a well-known member of our church community, many of whom supported him in different ways over many years. He made the decision to leave the church, and our door remains open to him should he wish to come back to the fold. We wish Jess all the best with the path he has chosen. Stuart doesn't want to get into who has been in contact from inside the Brethren. Anyone who did talk to him would be seen as being poisoned, but he's had limited contact with his family. One meeting didn't go ahead when his family insisted it be at the place he was living at. He later met his mother in the car park of a KFC. It was civil, but brief. When he refused to say he still supported the church's leadership, he went home feeling numb. He says he's accepted he might not see them again. He knows the Brethren's standard line is that it's up to families to decide their relationship with leavers, and says it's amazing they could lie like this, when it's clear families are highly influenced to cut ties. His dad, Dale, said, We accept that Jess is an adult and his future is his decision. It's his choice who he wishes to associate with in the future. I feel I'm doing pretty well mentally most of the time, but a wave hits me every so often, says Stuart. I'll see something on TV or talk to someone and they'll remind me of a mate or one of my siblings. Jacob says leavers have the struggle of dealing with the prosaic journey, finding a home, a job, a new network, the intoxicating freedom, while simultaneously coping with a huge emotional journey. She says, you can have a functioning and happy life on many counts, but you can never really fully resolve the grief because you can never fully bury it because they're not dead. There's always this grief you carry. Three days after he got out, Stuart went to the cinema for the first time in his life and was excited about watching one how they're meant to be consumed. The movie was Cocaine Bear. He didn't like it much. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on what, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about Dr. Journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. No, that, I think Chris, that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, that, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing a fair there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. On the one-month anniversary of his departure, he went to the rooftop bar of the QT Hotel and just got smashed. 
in various rebellions since departing. He's grown a beard, banned by the brethren, grown his hair longer, also banned, and got tattoos of an anchor and a heart, definitely banned. He's been to rap and comedy gigs and plenty of films. The free time he now enjoys means time moves slower. Each time we meet, he has a new idea about his career direction. It's like one day being in the aquarium and now you're in the ocean, he says. It's too big to be assured you're safe the whole time, but there's much more opportunity and I'm exploring that. Stuart is incredibly adept with what he has. He achieves a lot with the combination of a stylus and his left shoulder. At 14, he won a touch typing competition, 42 words per minute with no mistakes. Regardless of his physical limitations, he's genuinely an excellent artist and has lately completed a series of commissions of people's dogs. He records his own music, overlaying each track on a synthesizer. He's good at video games. He tells me he clocked a Spider-Man video game at the first attempt. He does have to plan almost everything in his life some distance ahead. He's also not interested in exposing every detail of how he lives his life for the prurience of others and is deeply private about his living situation, partly because of that and partly because he's keenly aware the Brethren have a history of surveilling former members. He's anxious that this story isn't entirely about the bloke with no limbs who escaped a cult, although he recognises the unique nature of his backstory. He'd like it to also be about a young man forging his own way in the world with a range of creative ambitions. Each time we meet, he has another whirlwind of ideas of what he might produce or study. He's made sure his TikTok, Instagram and YouTube accounts were live in time for this story's publication and would very much like you to go and look at them. I don't want it to define me, he says. If people want to ask about my background, I'm fine talking about it, but I don't want it to consume me. The brethren will tell you, he says, that if you leave, you'll leave without money, friends and family, and ultimately end up alone. So far that's not true. Fortunately, he owns some land, giving him financial independence. Anything I can do with all my limbs and growing up in society, he can do. I don't doubt his capabilities, says Mercy. That man is a freight train. Whatever he wants to do, he's going to do. And the result is an essentially sunny disposition. He'd like a rapprochement with his family, but he's intelligent enough to know it's unlikely. I still miss a lot of it, Stuart concludes, but I wouldn't go back. Even in my lowest moment out here, I still feel a lot more free and happy than any time in there. That was How I Escaped a Cult on The Long Read from Stuff. Written and read by Steve Kilgallen and produced by Jen Black. This episode was edited by Connor Scott. If you listen via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual platforms. If you follow the podcast, you'll get the latest episode automatically. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please support our work. Visit stuff.co.nz support. 
Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. Unless you've been in it, it's, it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers, you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending. This very blunt, abrasive doctor who I had, you know, had not seen before, who delivered the news, just like, you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby. The human race, where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life. I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it. And so I feel really lucky. So it's been incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz slash the human race or wherever you get your podcasts. The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate.